you can have this diagnosis, you can have all the shame, you can have all the shitty regrets, all the casualties of your life laid out before you like a complete mess and still move forward. You can still make a life that is worth living. It does not have to be uh, a life based in all your past mistakes and failures. Hello and welcome to How Not To Run A Business with me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs, a podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to work for themselves. Each week, I bring you real, honest, and down-to-earth conversations about success, failure, and how not to run a business, all in service of you living a life you love and achieving your version of success. Welcome to episode 35. I hope you're doing very well and thank you as always for joining me today. I am very excited about this episode as I am with every episode. Uh, This is going to be a two-parter. I sat down with Dr. Fiona Peters recently and we had a call before we decided to record the podcast episode. We talked non-stop for an hour Uh, She has ADHD and she contacted me because she loved the podcast and she was interested in coming and having a conversation with me. I get a lot of requests of people wanting to come onto the podcast and I'm extremely picky and choosy about who I bring on when they contact me. I normally contact people and ask them to come on because I like what they are about or I know that we can have a great conversation and... I had a chat with Fiona and checked out her stuff online and I was like, yep, I really want to bring Fiona on to talk about ADHD and her experience of it. She's going to do all the explaining of what she's about, her background, her research, um, what she did her PhD in. I'll leave that to her. But this is a really, really great conversation because... Part of the growth of this podcast has been about looking at what is working, what's not working and what I want to be talking more about and part of that is mental health and in particular neurodiversity. I myself am neurodiverse, I have ADHD as you may have guessed already and I want to bring more of these conversations to the podcast because they're important to me and they're important to a lot of the people that I know listen to this podcast and I'm a huge advocate for talking about mental health and all the things that come with it neurodiversity the mental side of running a business as business owners and entrepreneurs I think it's very very important to talk about that And so I'm making space on this podcast for those kinds of conversations. So we press record and in true ADHD style, we talked and talked and talked and we talked for an hour and a half. So I decided to split it into two. So the podcast is going to suddenly end with a cliffhanger and I'm going to be releasing the second part in a couple of weeks. And it's a really great conversation. Fiona was very open and very honest about her life and her journey and also what I really loved was she shared a lot of tactics, strategies, ways of dealing with her diagnosis. She was diagnosed in her early 50s with ADHD 
and it's a great conversation i enjoyed it thoroughly when i listened back to it i laughed i cried i got emotional um, a lot of relatedness so whether or not you have adhd whether or not you're interested in it or not i do encourage you to listen to this episode uh, both parts because it's a great conversation just a heads up as sometimes in my podcast episodes there are a few swear words and we are talking about mental health trauma and past experiences which are challenging for some people so if that's something you're sensitive to or not in the place to deal with right now then I would encourage you maybe to give this episode a miss but I always want to make sure people are aware before they listen so for now I will invite you to sit back relax and enjoy so hello Dr Fiona Peters it's a pleasure to see you finally we uh we had a chat uh, on the phone recently but welcome and thank you so much for joining me today how are you oh thank you jeremy it's good to see you in person as well and um we had a great chat on the phone and yeah we just talked about everything didn't we and i thought oh i must i must 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 share more of what we talked about with your audience because um it's such an important topic and i'll champion everyone and anyone who's doing anything to raise awareness of mental health and well-being um so yes thanks for having me hopefully it will be entertaining um, oh well of course we will of, of course, course. Well, i know that already <laughs> <laughs> so i'd love you to tell my audience who you are we're going to be talking specifically about adhd today but um share a whistle stop tour of of who Dr. Fiona Peters is and what what you're up to and what you do. Wow. So um, I earned my doctorate in the Department of Sociology at Goldsmiths University as a mature student. And I became completely obsessed in true ADHD style um, around the idea of mixedness and classification and specifically the impact on mixed race children who came in and out of the residential care system. And when I started looking at the data, I realized that mixed race children were two and a half times more likely to come into the care system. And this is disproportionate to the population. So I began to, like any good sniffer dog, and I think ADHDers are very good at investigating phenomena, I began to explore why, and I became completely obsessed by it. And at the time, I was working for the BBC as a broadcast journalist. And um, I was working in documentary, specialist factual, news. I'd done sort of five years working with them. And I loved the intellectual stimulation of that job. However, this obsessive uh, interest in mixedness and the care system began to override everything. I also love writing, not quite the art of writing, but the idea of writing. Um, I like having written. I don't like actually sitting down and writing. I like editing. So I didn't do enough of that in my day job. And um, per as per chance, an opportunity came my way. Um, to apply for a PhD. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest, but I thought, I'm gonna have a go. 
because that's how I lived my life up until that point. I just used to have a go at things. And um, I don't say that in an arrogant way either. I don't say, oh, I have a go because I know I can do it. I generally feel like I can't do very much. But I force myself to have a go because I think otherwise I'd just sit in my room and do nothing but write poetry, um, which isn't a bad calling, actually. But um, I applied for this PhD and I was rejected first time round. I was one point off what they wanted. They assessed you in terms of your match to your supervisor and your topic and your previous academic credentials. Um, and then about two days after being rejected, I received an offer letter um, and I was overjoyed, absolutely overjoyed, but I didn't know what I was actually letting myself in for. And the PhD programme was fully funded. And um, so I, I quit my job. They asked if I wanted a sabbatical. I said, no, thanks. I'm out of here. Uh, a decision that maybe on, in hindsight was hasty and impulsive and not thought through. Again, very typically ADHD. Uh, and I left to pursue a PhD. I started with a master's in social research. Bearing in mind at this time, I had two daughters who were both at secondary school. And I was uh, 36 and I had, was probably a year into a serious relationship with my now husband. So this was a huge lifestyle change for me. And I've been a single parent um, well, co-parent with my ex-partner of our of our daughters, but I was very much, you know, strong, sassy, independent lady, <laughs> um, earning my own money, traveling, and uh, enjoying life, you know. Um, so this was a whole new chapter, and I love starting new chapters. That's the other thing about me. I like to begin a new chapter. So um, I started with my master's. Uh, that was very difficult. Studying is difficult for me. I'm not, you know, a natural intellectual. And then started my PhD program where I began to put together my ideas for a thesis. Um, and it was painful. It was painful. The research was, was painful. Uh, I conducted interviews with a group of young people who were mixed heritage in the care system. And, you know, it's acting as a kind of confidant, friend, social worker, therapist, counsellor, um, very emotionally draining, went through my own probably two years of therapy, trying to work through some of my own childhood trauma and issues alongside trying to support young people who had been through the care system and were living those very same experiences that that I had experienced many, many years previously. So, um, and I think in some ways it was a cathartic experience, um, but not one that I wanted to return to in any meaningful way. Um, and so I then spent 10 years doing a lot of training after my PhD of practitioners, social workers, police officers, teachers, guardians, foster carers, uh, in best practice around some of the ways that you can work with young people of mixed heritage that doesn't um, 
discriminate against that identity in terms of how they are placed in foster care and if they're placed in foster care because there's a whole narrative around cultural matching which means that those children are more likely um, to be placed in white families Uh, which mimics their birth families often because they often come from single white mother homes. Uh, but somehow that wasn't allowed in fostering and adoption. They, there was an insistence that they be placed in black families to reflect their culture. Their culture often wasn't black culture. Um, but there was this whole move towards cultural matching and race matching, which meant that they, they sort of ended up in placements that were seen as not suitable. Um, and that meant that they were moved around a lot. So there was a real high um, instance of, of transience, you know, kids that have been in five, six, 10, 15 placements over their care experience. So, um, so I thought that I felt that that work was really meaningful um, in terms of sharing my research and trying to really advocate for mixedness to be an identity and a classification uh, that was about um, lived experience and not just a tick box. Um, So I did that for a long time and then um, I published a book with Palgrave Macmillan called Fostering Mixed Race Children, uh, bestseller on Amazon apparently, not, but um, I do get get royalties. every year and you know it's meaningful because actually it it means that people are still buying and copying and reading and occasionally I get emails from people all over the world to say could you tell me more about your research so you know that's how I earned my doctor moniker and um existentialism is my bag (laughs) 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 and uh and it plays to my sort of obsessive uh, hyper focused around research and finding things out and that curiosity that I have about people's lives and um, that started very early when I was at school at primary school and the TV used to be wheeled into the classroom and picture box would be put on and we'd all sit there and I'd obsessively watch these black and white films of people the tableau of life in the family and think wow People live like that, you know. I was always intrigued by other people's families and their lives. So, um, and I still am to a certain extent. So that's my kind of background. Um, so, yeah, I think I think um, that's about me as an academic, and and of course underpinning that are a number of things that I've raised which demonstrate ADHD yeah. is alive and well and um, yeah well it's an, it's an amazing yeah I mean it's it's I don't have much experience I'm a I'm a white man we were talking before we press record you were asking me about my heritage because I often get um assumed that I'm I think Hispanic I I often get spoken to in Spanish when I go to places like I was saying in Florida I walk into like a into a shop and they'll start speaking to me in Spanish and I look at them like uh actually I'm learning Spanish at the moment so it'd be no hablo uh Española or whatever yeah yeah um I I know I know now how to ask people if they speak Spanish but um I digress uh 
uh, so I, my, you know, my own lived experience, but what you said about lived ex- people's lived experience and what it's like to, ha- we all have identities, right? I really relate to what you said. My thesis uh, for my uh, MBA was in, uh, I'm, a, you know, I'm a member of the LGBT community, was around authenticity in the workplace for the LGBT community. And that experience was deeply cathartic because I realized that this impact that my whole life I'd led with this identity and the impact that that had had through discrimination, um, you know, my own internalized homophobia, all these kinds of things, and realizing, wow, there, there, there is so much here for me as an individual. And what impact is that having on people that aren't doing this work? And I, it sounds like you had a similar experience. And and that leads us into kind of where we connected in this interest in mental health and people's experiences of life and this world we live in right now where there's a lot of conflict and um, distress around identity and pushback from people starting to put their stand up and speak out and say, hold on a minute, this isn't okay. Um, And that, may segue quite nicely into us talking about our both our experiences of having ADHD which is why um I invited you on the podcast to come and have a have a conversation so yeah I will yeah I I totally hear what you're saying about lived experience and I think you know you can't argue with someone's lived experience you know as a qualitative sociologist lived experience is it puts flesh on the bones, right? So you have your data, you've got your numbers, statistics, statistics, damn lies, and then you have lived experience. And I think the most powerful testimony comes from people who have had an experience where their identity has been um, marginalized or uh, criticized or um, oppressed. And, And I think it's, until we begin, and, and labeling theory is interesting because when you label somebody, you almost ask them to live into their label. So being di- being classified as mixed race or being classified as a white male, you're, you're expected to live into those tropes and those stereotypes of what that might mean. You know, a mixed identity is a very marginal identity. You belong to neither, uh, but you also don't belong to your mixed community either because you have different backgrounds, different heritages, different ethnic affiliations. So the mixed community, no, they they don't share anything either uh, in terms of a sort of coherent heritage, but they do share a lived experience. And so that's the commonality. So I think if you have um, a marginal identity, if you're if you're gay or if you're transgender um, or, you know, you can you can empathize with others who also have a marginal identity. And so that's what I think is powerful about sharing our lived experience of whether that's race or or sex or gender or uh, neurodivergence. You know, all of these different labels, which we are seeing a plethora of now, Uh, allow us not just to say, I've got ADHD, you know, this is why I'm always late, Uh, or I've got ADHD, this is why I can't get my shit together. Um, You know, it allows us us not to have just excuses for ourselves, but also allows other positionalities to say, yeah, I know what that means, because I'm a gay woman, or I'm a gay man, and this is what it feels like for me. 
So, you know, my ADHD journey started well before diagnosis. It was my my life up until that point, until being diagnosed, like a lot of people, just as we went into lockdown, um, I had become confronted with myself in lockdown, as many of us did. And I realised that my life was just spiralling uh, in a really unhealthy way. And I knew that there was something wrong with me. Um, and I had felt that for a long time. And I remember being a teenager and just saying, I just want to be normal. Please let me just be normal. And I did everything I could to be normal. Everything. You know, I had a relationship. I had two daughters. We had a normal family life. And I did everything I could to mask all of my symptoms and pretend that I didn't have depression and that I didn't have anxiety. And I didn't actually have the labels to say that that's what was going on for me. Um, and I think labels are extremely important. Once you can name your feelings, you can begin to have some compassion for yourself. And that's what the diagnosis gave me. Uh, and it came very late in life. I was in my early 50s. And um, it, 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 I, was, I was so relieved to hear those words, you have moderate ADHD. I was so relieved for about two days. And then I really began to look at my past and the, the sort of choices that I've made and the things I've done and the people I'd hurt and the mistakes I'd made and the, the casualty, the casualties of ADHD are, are numerous, not just unfinished projects, unwritten books, the unresolved relationships, you know, words that you can't unsay, people that you can't apologise enough to, uh, mistakes that you've made, that you've hidden and covered up through shame. And, you know, that took probably a full year year and a half of processing a very difficult time for my relationship with my husband and some of the choices that we had made as a couple in our personal life some of the huge toll that had taken on us our family our children and um you can't undo those things mm. Yeah, no, I'm getting emotional. Just talk, it's like a therapy session. I'm just like, but just the, the relatedness of what you're sharing and that, um, yeah, just that looking back at your life and going, fuck, like, what have I done? Um, and we'll, I, I want to want to explore more that more of that with you. But I have a fir my first question, and thank you for sharing that. That's not something that I would necessarily find easy to do to 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 share like all of this experience and the shame and the the upset and the guilt and you know things like that yeah well I share it because yeah it's like for me it's important to be open and honest because uh, uh, I otherwise have lived this entire life with shame and if I don't speak about that then I then I leave some of myself on the table for this interview. And if I do that, then 
that defeats the object of my life. You know, I'm not here to leave shit on the table and say, well, I'll talk about this, but I won't talk about that. Or, I, or I, And I don't want to continue to live in that, that state of shame and not talk about the feelings that I know, having spoken to other people with and without ADHD, these feelings of shame are there for everybody. Feelings of shame, feelings of being an imposter, feelings that you're not good enough. These are normal human feelings. And, you know, we, we don't talk about them because it leaves us feeling raw and vulnerable and judged and criticised. And, you know, if we can't be real human beings, who are we being? Yeah, no, exactly. And the, and there's enough um, false fakeness on social media. <laughs> enough yeah, of that. We of don't it. need more of that. No, yeah. we don't need yeah. more of that. I've got another question for you. I'll come back to the, my original question in a second. But why why do you why did you show up to this this conversation? What what do you hope? What's your intention of having this conversation around your I, experience? Yeah, I, I I'm all about lived experience, as I was explaining earlier. And I know that ADHD now has become this sort of like trendy diagnosis. Um, lots of people are being diagnosed, and lots of adults are being diagnosed. Lots of older women are being diagnosed, and and I fall into that latter camp. I'm an older woman. I was going through the menopause when I was diagnosed. And there are very um, similar symptoms. You know, estrogen decline leads to cognitive fogginess. Executive function is very much the symptom of ADHD. And there was a real confusion uh, when I was diagnosed after which, which is it. Turns out it's both. Um, so, you know, and there are things that we can do, like we don't have to suffer. We don't have to live in shame and we also don't have to suffer. There are very real things, you know, whether that's uh, pharmacological intervention, whether that's dietary, whether that's getting support that you need, whether that's changing your job, adapting your lifestyle. Um, you know, so for me to come on and talk about mental health and well-being, it's to really share that you can have this diagnosis, you can have all the shame, you can have all the shitty regrets, all the casualties of your life laid out before you like a complete mess and still move forward. You can still make a life that is worth living. It does not have to be uh, a life based in all your past mistakes and failures. Um, and I know you want to talk about failure as well. Um, and I think that is an overriding theme of ADHD is that we feel like we have failed. But that's OK. Failure is not. Um, it's not it's not the end. You know, failure is not the end. It, it's it's the beginning of creating something that actually feels authentic. Whether other people look at that as success or not doesn't matter. It's about how you feel about um, trying again and, and resetting and going again and start restarting, even though you feel too old, uh, unworthy, not good enough. Um, so, you know, this, this new chapter for me is really about integrating ADHD into my everyday in a way that feels... Um, like it underpins me, you know, if I were to hook my identity and my lived experience on something, I think being neurodivergent trumps, trumps all identities. It trumps gender, sex, race, 
geography class like if you are neurodivergent that is where you pin your identity and um for me it's become the foundation of who i am and it helps me be more forgiving and compassionate and more understanding of myself um but also allows me to indulge in my little adhd traits you know with 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 no shame no shame <laughs> yeah no i know <laughs> <laughs> oh, i was laughing because there's just like the amount of times i've like i just yeah it's celebrate that's the thing i love what you said about you know your your neurodivergent um part of your identity your neurodivergent brain being what underpins everything because that really is like it's the driving seat isn't it of everything we do the fact that i'm a gay man doesn't really in influence how i show up to my desk every day but adhd does whether i show up or not precisely and, um, if you show up yeah if i if i want to show up yeah and um and the more conversations that we could i picked up on what you said about you know adhd being this trendy diagnosis it's seems to be everywhere even someone who has a adhd sometimes like oh for fuck's sakes everyone's got fucking adhd oh and <laughs> ugh, we won't go into yeah. that necessarily but I but it, it feels like it feel because that's the thing it, it feels like when you have adhd and you've got a diagnosis and it feels like everyone else is saying they've got adhd it's a it kind of like feels well hold on a minute like uh, like i'm i i need where am I going with this? I'm not sure. I'm going to pay, put a pause. Go on with it. Right Think it through. Enough. No, no, I know because my no in in typical brain my brain fashion, I just lost the train of thought and went I off. Think, somewhere, yeah, somewhere but I think what you're what you might be saying, and which I agree with you, is you know this is my take on it. Everyone seems mm. to be being diagnosed with ADHD, and I think that actually, if you're diagnosed, this is this is a positive of it, right? This is a positive yeah. of, of lots of people being diagnosed. It is more normal than we think. It is more normal than we think it is to be neurodivergent. And also, I was a child of the 70s. I was a complete nightmare. I was a nightmare child. I was very good at music and drama and the arts. Um, but I also had mild dyslexia not picked up. I couldn't really write very well or read very well. I was very physical. I was very anti-authority as a young child. And I think if I were in school today, I would have been diagnosed very, very quickly. Um, but I think a lot of us, you know, adults, we've been missed and we've had terrible experience at school. And we've come out of school feeling like we have not met our potential and we haven't because often the ADHD brain is very sharp. We're very sharp, very bright, very innovative, very creative. And it's not necessarily nurtured in the school environment. And I think that a lot of people who have been through the education system are now seeking a diagnosis because they want answers. They want answers for why they've underachieved. Like, why are, yeah. why are we underachieving? You know, it's a question that mm. has to be asked. And I think even though, like you, I agree, everyone seems to have it, I think it's A, more common and B, there are a lot of people who are trying to find answers to their being. Like, why, why am I like mm. this? Why have I underachieved? Why do I feel like an imposter? Why do I keep failing? Why do I keep messing up my relationships? Why do I fall out with everyone? You know, because ADHD yeah. is not just a brain dysfunction. It's emotional dysregulation. So emotionally, we're, we're heightened. 
we feel everything a bit more. Everything's bigger. When we think in extremes, we're likely to catastrophize things. And that's, I'm speaking from my own experience uh, as a woman, uh, a straight woman. And uh, we also get very obsessed with the interests, our love interests. So, you know, I, when I had, when I was much younger relationships where I'd be obsessed with somebody to the point of stalking them. And then I was wondering why they didn't want to go out with me. (laughs) So it not only underpins our identity, uh, but also it provides answers for all the weird shit we've done. <laughs> yeah. I Have you heard of limerence? Limerence? Limerence. No. Uh, yeah. No. It's, so it's this, it's this, um, it, it's, it's basically what you were describing. Um, it's, it's, I'm actually Googling it because I want to double check. Yeah. Uh, limerence so it's this state i'm just reading off the internet actually it's a state of infatuation or obsession of another person uh, that involves an all-consuming passion or intrusive thoughts and when i so i've been i've been in a relation new relationship two years ago and i i i and i had limerence obsessed like obsessed it was so bad and actually the the previous relationship that i'd had um nine ten years before I I literally could not function it was so bad and my friend who was also diagnosed with ADHD said this sounds like limerence I've never heard of it before and I googled it and I read up about it I was like oh my god this is it and that's a really clear example of how our brains can hijack everything and I just exactly the same and it's only through going through that process of realizing that I've got ADHD my brain just doesn't operate in the same way as most people that there's this mm. element of self-acceptance of I, I'm going to do my best to control it and yeah. I may not be successful, but at least I know I'm not just batshit crazy. And yeah, yeah. Uh, well, some people might say I am, but like, fuck them. Um, yeah. You know, an acceptance of like, oh, okay, my brain just operates in a different way and I'm living in a world which is set up for people that don't operate like we do. Um yeah. And it and there's this and that actually brings me nicely onto the question that I was going to ask originally, which is what you said that when you were first diagnosed, you felt relief for a couple of days. Would you be happy to share what that was, what that relief was? Yeah, I I I, I felt relieved because after diagnosis, um, I felt heard and seen for who I really was. I didn't mask during my um, my chat with um, the psychiatrist who diagnosed me. I was myself and I didn't pretend or cover anything up. And, uh, and he asked lots of probing questions about my childhood. And I remember describing things that I'd done uh, that I'd felt ashamed of, that had made me feel weird. Things like stealing, um, things like putting stones in bits of paper and throwing them at cars. Things like, um, like like really naughty things. And then when I was a teenager, I was a prolific shoplifter. Like I could not, I actually could not stop stealing. and I, I started stealing out of necessity, but then I started stealing because it was just a, a buzz. 
So I got a lot of adrenaline out of stealing. Um, and then as I started to learn more about how the symptoms of ADHD presented, I then began to look at my early relationships and how obsessive I would become about the object of my affection. And then this lack of self-control and self-discipline that I had. And then um, the sense of academically being very bright, um, but too loud and, and not consistent um, and late everywhere. You know, and the, the relationships that I, I'd messed up because I was too emotional. And, um, and I couldn't communicate my feelings either. Like, I think I'm very good at communicating now. But back then, I, would, I was silent for a long time. I couldn't communicate how I felt when I was in my late teens. And, uh, and I always thought my ADHD was trauma. I thought I'd been so traumatized. I had quite a, a tough childhood. Um, I alluded to the fact that I was in the care system. Um, and so I, I, I sort of hit adulthood feeling like I was a trauma, traumatized kid out of care. And uh, and then when I had my diagnosis, I began to separate the two things. I began to separate the grief and the trauma and the care experience and losing my mum from the symptoms of ADHD. And even though somebody like Gabo Mate might say that they're interlinked, in my case, separating them helped me to see that I wasn't my trauma that I could control my response and integrate the trauma that I'd experienced. And I could almost accept that as a specific type of childhood. And it's not unusual. It's not an unusual childhood to be in care, or it's not an unusual childhood to, to lose your mum, you know, and go through grief as a child. These things aren't unusual. They're rare, but they happen. ADHD, however, that's not something that you can just put away um that's something that continues to impact me i can i can process the childhood like we all have to process that our childhoods good bad indifferent happy unhappy we've got to process them but adhd wasn't going to be processed and parked um and i had to try and separate those two things which had become interlinked um, and so I felt relieved that I could deal with my trauma and being an orphan and being in care. I could, I could, I could have some therapy for that and begin to accept that. But the ADHD is a is an ongoing um, maintenance job. <laughs> you know, it's not going anywhere. It's not something that's in the past. It's now. It's right now. It's in this moment, and it's something that I have to learn how to accept and live with. And so I felt relief that I could let go of my trauma um, and I could let go of some of the confusion there was around ADHD. And then I think that when you're newly diagnosed, it, is, it, is for me, it was for me a sense of relief. And then came the recriminations and the regrets and the apologies. And, the, and then the deeper conversations and arguments and, and wanting to be understood. Um, 
but I've let go of wanting to be understood now. I wanted everyone to get me. And, um, but now I just, you know, the people that I love, as long as they love me, I'm fine. I don't need to be understood. Um, and it's, uh, and it's a relief to know how to manage sometimes, like, just how to manage myself. That's the relief. I think that's, that's the thing about ADHD, which is, which, which for me was most confusing is one day never looked like the next. Whereas now I, I'm beginning to accept that one day will not look like the next and one feeling won't be consistent, that I can ride those waves and I'm getting good at the surfing of the waves. And sometimes like I can feel like, like over the weekend, like yesterday, I just thought, well, why am I feeling so flat? What, what's going on for me? And I thought, oh, maybe I'm missing the intellectual stimulation of work. You know, I'd taken an extended break. I had three days. And I thought, yeah, I need some, I need a problem to solve. I need something to focus on. Like, I need that brain stimulation. I'm not good at relaxing. I'm not good at just sitting. Um, and that's the hyperactivity. Um, so the relief is I understand myself. I'm not seeking to be understood by others or accepted. I understand myself. And I'm learning that other people don't always understand me. Um, and that's okay. Like, it's, it's, it's not, that's not why I'm here. <laughs> you know, I'm here to share my experience and hopefully to allow others, you know, a space to share their experiences and to be, uh, I, w I would like to be more effective in my own life and, and have a great handle on discipline and self-control uh, in order to meet my potential. So, yeah. So in in that sense, like getting the diagnosis is 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 quite freeing, really. Mm. Yeah, I love I love what you shared about um, the separation of the trauma and the ADHD, and um, you know everyone. I am a, I'm on a Facebook group for ADHD men support. And people talk about Gabriel Marte quite a lot. And I've, I've actually read one of his books, um, The Realm of Hungry Ghosts, around addiction, because I spent a lot of my <clears throat> 20s and 30s, I had a drug and alcohol um, abuse problem. And, um, and I spent a lot of time in the world of I'm an addict. And for me, the stigma around that with my other labels was just I didn't want that and I just there was, I knew there was something different there was I just couldn't I'd gone to 12-step programs and I'd really I'd failed consistently to to work the program as they say and this is not any you know this I, I have lots of friends who are in 12-step programs and um they've done it's done amazing work for them and it wasn't working for me and some people could argue well I wasn't trying hard enough whatever and when I got diagnosed with ADHD everything clicked because a big issue for a lot of people with ADHD is uh, alcohol and drug abuse um and it, and and that journey for me just changed everything because I was able to look at it from a different perspective deal with this question mark I had over the stigma of um being an addict and all this sort of stuff and I'm now successful. I've been successful in my journey 
to deal with the drug and the alcohol um, issues because I've stopped drinking. I haven't had to drink in three months. I've done stints of long periods of abstinence. And it was only through, and I haven't done the work to really understand what was going on there, but I've only through the diagnosis and reframing it for myself that I was able to go, oh, okay, it's, it's not, it's not that, it's this. Um, and what I, the, the question around sort of sidetrack there, but coming back to the original point about um, his work and around where does ADHD come from and this link to trauma, my perspective personally is, yes, it's important to recognize trauma and to do the work to, to heal that. But I'm very much like, what is that going to help me with my ADHD? If it came from trauma as a childhood, this is just my own personal perspective. And that's what I really liked about your separating the trauma from the ADHD. Because today, now, you still have ADHD and you've let go of the past and you're still dealing every day with ADHD. And that's, um, in my experience, it's, it's hard fucking work. <laughs> like, it's hard work. Uh, because we've got so much to deal with and it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that it's that's the problem we we struggle to be able to focus and pay attention and in ourselves the thing we need to be able to deal with all this confusion is focus and attention do you see what I mean it's like this sort of vicious circle um so I really love what you shared about that and um my next question is how how you 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 talked about riding the wave because emotional dysregulation is a real issue i had a a meltdown on a on a cliff edge in portugal last week with my partner because we were and he he's um un, he's undiagnosed but we've we've both had conversation i'm pretty sure he's neurodiverse he has little ticks off the boxes and i had this like meltdown on a cliff and it and i and uh, pre-diagnosis I would have gone oh you're this emotional um twat idiot who can't you know blah, 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 all this negative stuff and now I'm able to go oh, I've got ADHD and um emotional dysregulation is part of that but that doesn't let me off the hook what it allows me to do is to be able to take a step back from that experience and go compassion and understanding and how am I going to deal with this right now because as you say that riding the wave of this emotion is a it's a real challenge for me um so what 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 have you learned since diagnosis because i'd be really love to talk about um the tools the things the strategies that you have worked for you to help you get to this place where you are today and i get that's a really broad question so go anywhere you want with that and so this is the part where we take a break. I've decided to split this episode into two parts because it ended up being an hour and a half long and I thought it would work best if we split it in two. So you can think of it as a very exciting cliffhanger. And if you want to know the answer to that question and all of the wonderful things that we discuss in the rest of the episode, then make sure you tune in. We'll be back with this episode part two in two weeks time. Thank you so much for listening in today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. This has been How Not to Run a Business with your host, me, Jeremy Jacobs. If you like this conversation and you want to hear more, 
then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And whilst you're there, if you want to leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me online, you can do so on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And my profile name is Jeremy Jacobs UK. Or you can check out my website, which is jeremyjacobs.co.uk. So once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep on trying, keep on failing, keep on succeeding.